Yes. Isaac Adams is a pastor at Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C., and he wrote an article two years ago titled, They Excommunicated My Dad. And in this article, he recounts how as a kid, he, um, he has seared in his mind this memory of uh, one of the elders of, of the church reaching out a hand to greet his dad, but his dad angrily passing the elder, storming out of the church, never to return. Now, Isaac's dad was himself an elder of the church, but the church had uh, dismissed him from his role as an elder because he was not leading his family well, which is a you know, uh, prerequisite to being an elder. And in this article, Isaac does not spell out his uh, dad's particular sins. He said, look, I was a kid. I didn't know what was going on. All I knew is that my whole world just was in upheaval. Uh, it was as if the, the church's discipline on my father was like the iceberg under the Titanic. It just sunk us. Even my own family was divided where uh, some took the side of the church and others took my father's side. And... But many years later, he writes this article. And he writes this article to encourage churches to practice discipline. He says, I know it's messy. I know it's not always welcome. The people don't always respond uh, appropriately, but it's the right thing to do. In fact, uh, here's an excerpt from his article. Years have now passed, and today I can tell you the church made the right decision. I can also tell you some ways that God used that decision for good. Number one, through my dad's discipline, my church protected Christ's name for its members and the watching world. Number two, through my dad's discipline, God drew most of my family members closer to himself. Number three, through my dad's discipline, my desire to pastor a local church continues to grow. I actually called Isaac Friday uh, in order to get the update. You know, what about, but what about your dad? You know, is he reconciled to the church? Did he repent? Uh, in the article, he says, uh, and this was two years ago, he said, I do meet with my dad regularly. We're doing a Bible study together, and uh, we're talking about what reconciling with the church would look like. But Isaac was a, is a busy pastor working on his own sermon, so he told his secretary, tell Mike he can use my sermon, uh, use my story in his sermon, but I'm too busy <laughs> to talk, so I don't have an update for you. Now, anytime we, uh, many of us, when we hear about church discipline, we are instantly uncomfortable, right? Uh, and we, we think, excommunication, that's like a medieval word, right? Didn't that stop back then? Uh, and a church, who are we to, to judge? I've got sin in my life. You know, why, what would cause a, a church to think, okay, you know, how do you decide that's bad enough? Now we have to remove you. Um, plus, there are legal issues, right? We live in a sue-happy culture, and, man, you exercise church discipline on a church member, and you make that public to the church. Next thing you know, you might be sued for defamation. Uh, and so for these reasons and many others, uh, a lot of Christians are uncomfortable with church discipline, and, frankly, a lot of churches don't practice it at all. And yet, 
uh, it is biblical and it is um, a, a part of God's plan. It's a tool he uses to provoke repentance in the heart of a flagrant sinner and it's a tool he uses to guard the church from corruption. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We are in a series on the book of 1 Corinthians, and in our text today, the Apostle Paul commands the church of Corinth to excommunicate uh, one of its members who is engaging in flagrant sin. I will read 1 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 1. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans, for a man has his father's wife. So who has, uh, who has reported this to Paul? Well, in chapter 1, we learn that Paul is in Ephesus, and he's writing a letter back to Corinth, a church that he planted, and he's been made aware of what's going on in Corinth by some uh, Christians from, from Corinth, uh, part of Chloe's family. Who, and, and so he's learning sort of what's going on in Corinth, and he writes back. So he's been told that there is uh, somebody in the church who, who has his father's wife. Verse 2. And you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit, and as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. Now, this is the apostle, Paul, right? He has the authority of apostle. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved In the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Uh, By the way, that's a lost letter. Uh, Apparently, Paul wrote uh, at least one other, possibly uh, two other letters to the Corinthians that have been lost. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother, if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. So here's the situation. 
there is a member of the church in Corinth who's sleeping with his stepmother. And that is ex, uh, expressly forbidden in the Old Testament, Leviticus 18.8. Your father's wife is off limits to you in all situations, period. And Paul says uh, this is an, a, a, a type of sexual immorality. By the way, any sex outside the context of marriage between a man and a woman is sexual immorality. But this is a kind of sexuality a sexual immorality that even the non-Christians of the day said, that's perverted. You've got your father's wife? Gross. That's not right. And, 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 and as, you know, Paul, Paul is obviously um, bothered by this sin, but it seems like he's more bothered by the apathetic response of the church. That's the thing that's really got Paul stirred up. You're not doing anything about this. You're, you're letting this guy uh, operate as if everything's okay. He's like a member of the church with all the privileges. Nobody's confronting him. Nobody's pointing this sin out and saying, hey, hey, we don't do that as Christians. That's not part of our, our moral code. Uh, and, and that's a big problem for Paul. And so he writes and said, you know, you've got to deal with this. You cannot allow this kind of flagrant sin to go unchecked in the church or it will harm the church. You are arrogant. I find that interesting. Paul says that the inaction of the church or the tolerance of the church for this sin is arrogance. Now, we oftentimes, we think, wait, tolerance is, is humility. Who am I to judge? I've got sin in my own life. I, who am I to cast the stone, right? He who has no sin cast the first stone. It, God's the judge. Not, I'm not the judge. And so sometimes we, we think tolerating sin in, in other people is, um, is a form of humility, and listen, tolerating sin in other people who uh, have a soft heart to the Lord and are trying to uh, do what is right is a good and noble thing, absolutely. But when it is a, a flagrant sin, when the, when the person is part of the church and their sin, they are unrepentant, they are hardened, and everybody knows about it, uh, to tolerate it is not a good thing. I think there's something else going on with the arrogance. I think it comes out of a, a false theology. Now, these are Christians who have grasped a hold of the glorious truth that we are saved by grace through faith and not by works. And that is absolutely true. Praise God. Uh, and, but they haven't grasped a hold of the corresponding truth that Christ saves us in order to change us. Those two truths have to be held in balance for a community to be healthy and for a spiritual life to be healthy. And so I can hear these Corinthians saying, hey, uh, we are saved by grace through faith apart from works. And, and so we are a grace-filled community. We emphasize the grace of God, the unmerited favor of God. We are not about uh, behavioral change around here. That's not what we're focused on. 
We are elevating the fact that, uh, that we are civ- uh, forgiven uh, and loved despite our behavior. And I think they've gone so far as a church that they're saying they're actually consider it a badge of honor that they've got flagrant sinners in their midst that they're all tolerating. Look how tolerant we are. Look how grace-filled we are. This guy can sleep with his stepmother and we all accept him. And Paul says that is, that's actually spiritual arrogance that's out of balance. That is not healthy. And this tendency to um, glob on to the glorious truth that we are saved by grace through faith apart from works and neglect the fact that, yeah, God actually wants to save us in order to change us, this was not unique to the Corinthians. Uh, there has always been a tendency to get out of balance here. In fact, in the book of Romans, so Paul's writing to another group of Christians in another part of the world over in Rome, in Italy, and he, and he's ha- he has to ask this question. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? So some people are arguing, hey, every time I sin, God, God forgives me of that, and, and God's grace is poured out in my life. You know what? I should just sin a whole bunch so that I experience the glorious grace of God. And Paul's like, are you nuts? What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound, which is what some people are saying? He goes, by no means. Other translations, God forbid. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Verse 5, or verse 6. For we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Or here in our text, Paul talks about it in terms of uh, leavened leaven. Get the leaven out of your life. Leaven was uh, a metaphor for sin uh, to the Jews. And he said, you know, on Passover, one of the things you did when celebrating the Passover is you went through your house and you got rid of all the leaven. You got it all out of your house. That was a big deal. Well, Paul says that's like the Christian who gets the sin out of her life uh, in order to um, honor the, what Christ has died for. He died to set us free from sin. He died to change us. And so here's the problem. When we allow sin to go unchecked in the church, uh, we send the wrong message. The message we send is you can be totally healthy spiritually and be sleeping with your stepmother. You can be totally healthy spiritually and be cheating on your taxes every year. You can be totally healthy spiritually and then during the the work week, swindling people, lining your own pockets by taking advantage of other people. You can be totally healthy spiritually and at the same time be getting drunk every weekend and partying with your friends. And that's not true. What we do matters. 
And there are some behaviors that uh, we cannot allow to be in the church, and everybody knows about it, and, and let it go unchecked because it sends this massive, inappropriate, uh, corrupting message that that's not a problem spiritually. That won't harm us as a church, and that's not going to harm you uh, as, a, as an individual. And that's what happens when we allow public sin uh, you know, to go unaddressed. And so Paul says, your boasting is not good. Your silence is not good. Your apathy toward to this sin within your midst is not good. You've got to do something about it. And what exactly? Well, he tells us in verse 2, let him who has done this be removed from among you. Or in verse 13, purge the evil person from among you. You see, a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. Uh, unchecked sin within the church will have a corrupting influence uh, upon the whole. A little leaven, a little bit of sour, uh, spoiled dough put into otherwise good dough will have an effect upon it. Sin... A flagrant sin unchecked in the church will ultimately corrupt the whole church because everybody's watching and everybody sends, says, I guess that's appropriate behavior. You know, I guess you can be spiritually healthy and be doing that. And that makes it easier for other people to become enslaved to sin and fooled by uh, the evil one. So, purge the evil person from among you. Take, take that person out. Of, of the community, so their corrupting influence is gone. Also, so that they get a wake-up call, so that the person who is caught up in this uh, sin bondage is hopefully shaken awake, and so that they will repent. Verse 4, when you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. What does that mean? Well, there are two interpretations of what it means uh, to hand somebody over for the destruction of the of flesh. Number one is you hand that man over to Satan. Satan kills him or that woman, and that way they can't sin anymore. Like Ananias and Sapphira. I don't, that's not, I don't think that's the interpretation. Some hold that interpretation, but uh, I think the much better understanding is that you are, um, you are pushing that person out of the, of the um, protection of the Christian community, out into the world where Satan is in charge, and you are, they're removed from the spiritual protection of the church that hopefully kind of, gets their attention, and you, uh, you know, uh, allowing the evil one to um, mess with their lives, and hopefully, hopefully they will, it will then get their attention so that they repent, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. So uh, temporary discomfort, temporary discipline, hopefully so that there is spiritual learning 
which will protect them from going too far down the road uh, of uh, bondage to sin and ultimately into apostasy from this faith, which would result in their eternal damnation. Let's get practical. How does this, isn't this a fun topic? Aren't you just loving this? This is why I came to church. Here we go. So now let's get practical. How does this work itself out? Principles for exercising church discipline. Number one, the entire church is responsible for the health of the church. Paul is addressing the entire church. He doesn't just address the leaders. He says the whole church needs to take responsibility for the health of the church. And we all have a role to play in um, confronting the sin in our midst and dealing with the sin in our midst. Number two, number two the sin is ongoing and public, right? It's not a private sin. It's a public sin, and it's ongoing. It's not just one time it happened in the past, but it's, it's the kind of sin where we all know it's happening, and if we don't address it, the, the big message is it's okay. Number three, the offender is a member of the church. Guess what? When you join Clearwater Church, you, saw, you get to be disciplined. Whee! Who wants that, right? You, you, you sign a membership covenant in which you commit to living according to biblical values. And you say, when I don't do this, and that's true for all of us at times, when I don't do this, I will repent and uh, change. And you say, if perchance I am kind of being stubborn in my uh, sin, if I get really caught up into it, then I will submit to, uh, I welcome and will submit to the discipline of the church in my life. If you're not a member of the church, even if you attend the church, we're not going to enact this kind of a discipline because you have not joined us. You're on the outside, even if you're a regular attender. And I, I know that some of you are right now thinking, oh, well, I'm going to stay an attender. <laughs> we'll talk more about that. Number four, the offender has been approached according to Matthew 18, 15 to 17, and remains unrepentant. Jesus tells us that there are lots of uh, pre-steps to be taken. When somebody gets caught up in a sin, Jesus said, you go one-on-one -on -one with that person and you confront them just privately. And if they repent, awesome, your brother has been uh, saved. Boom. If they aren't going to listen one-on-one, -on -one, then you take at least one other person, maybe two, and you go together as a small group. If they're still unrepentant, you take it to the leadership of the church and then ultimately to the church. So there are lots of preliminary steps you take. It's only when all that has been done and the person is still unrepentant and in the community flagrantly sinning that you have to take it to this level of excommunication. Number five, the discipline is as public as the sin, all right? If it's not known by the whole church, then the whole church doesn't need to know. It could just be the small group that maybe of people who know, but it's as discipline. The discipline's as public as a sin, but if the whole church knows about it, then the whole church needs to know about the discipline because it, it's sending the corrective message, this is not okay, uh, we are a new community. 
We don't live like the world around us. We're a third race of people, the Christians, and we have a different set of values and a different code of conduct that we uh, insist on. Uh, uh, Number six, the offender is excommunicated, which is more than just being treated as an unbeliever. Now, this is important. Unbelievers are welcome in our church. There's very little an unbeliever is not allowed to do. You know, you're not supposed to take communion. That's, that's uh, f- reserved for followers of Christ. You can't become a member of the church if you're not a Christian. And there are some leadership positions you can't have if you're not a Christian. But you can participate. We welcome unbelievers. Come and see. Uh, taste and see that the Lord is good, right? But not somebody who's under discipline. They're not welcome to attend church functions. They're under discipline. And that's, that's a different deal. And that's why Paul Paul says, um, but now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he's guilty of sexual immorality, greed, idolatry, reviler, drunkard, swindler, not even to eat with such a one. In other words, you are saying it's not okay between us, right? You're not in good standing with the church. You're under discipline. And that, that demands a different relationship. And then finally, upon repenting, the offender is to be welcomed back into the church. Listen, it's never punitive. Its purpose is not punitive. We're not trying to punish people. It's restorative. It, the purpose is always to protect the health of the church and to hopefully provoke that person who's in bondage to sin to provoke their repentance so that they can be restored, spiritually restored and restored to fellowship. Now, this is exciting. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, so the second letter that we have that Paul wrote to the Corinthians, we read this, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8. Now, if anyone has caused pain... He has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. And uh, most scholars believe that Paul is here talking about the man that, that he had in 1 Corinthians in our chapter today uh, in, told the church, uh, excommunicate him, kick him out of the church. Apparently, it had worked. It had gotten that man's attention. He had repented, and now Paul is saying to him, uh, saying to the church, reaffirm your love for him. He's repented. Welcome him back in the church. You don't need to you know, he doesn't need to get right with me. He's in your church. <laughs> and I'm, and then he goes on, he says, uh, if anyone you, whom you forgive, I also forgive. So, it's, you know, at any point along the way, if somebody repents, they're forgiven and the church welcomes them, welcomes them back into full fellowship. It's restorative. Uh, by the way, uh, it's easy for us to pick on sexual sin, right? Uh, that tends to be very public. We're all aware of that. But Paul is, um, 
Paul points out that it's not just sexual immorality that can trigger church discipline. He lists greed, that voracious appetite for more, that inability, unwillingness to be content with what God gives us. He lists, lists idolatry, looking, uh, worshiping another god or looking to another god uh, to supply what only God himself is to supply. Reviler. A reviler is someone who uses, uh, is a mocker, uses cutting words, uh, is kind of rebellious against authority. A drunkard. And a swindler. Uh, someone who lines her own pockets at the expense of other people. There's a story, uh, I don't know if it's true, but Martin Luther, the German reformer, it said that there was a guy in his church who bought a house for 30 marks and was planning to sell it for 300 marks. And Martin Luther said, if you try to do that, I'll kick you out of the church. <laughs> Which he said, you can sell it for 150. That's, a, that's acceptable. <laughs> Which I, but I find it interesting. Martin Luther recognized it's not just sexual immorality that you know, is a danger to the church. It's, it's any flagrant sin that... Uh, cuts against the, uh, the ethic of the Christian ethic. In James chapter 5, we read this. James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Churches that don't practice church discipline are failing to uh, adequately protect the church from the schemes of the evil one and they're, they're really not helping uh, the people who get caught up in sin, are in bondage to sin. This is church discipline. Discipline is an important tool that God commands us to employ to protect His church's uh, His uh, church's purity and to help um, protect people from bondage to sin. Uh, here at Clearwater Church, a couple years into it, we didn't yet yet have elders. Uh, Chris Kefalos was sort of functioning as an elder. Uh, but we had a, a guy in our church who was not treating his wife correctly. And we had multiple times uh, talked to him and counseled with him and tried to help him to change. Uh, but there just wasn't change. And there seemed to be justification on his part. Unfortunately, he was getting bad advice from his, his own father who was telling him, you know, sometimes you've got to treat your wife this way uh, lest she sort of get out of control. And so we sat down with this uh, husband, Chris and I did, and we said, you know, we ratcheted up the rhetoric, and we said, this has got to stop. It's inappropriate. It's inconsistent with the Christian life. Change your behavior. Time went on. It still didn't change. So then we pulled out the church letterhead, and, uh, and we wrote him a letter, and we just said, you know, we put it in writing so there was no ambiguity, and we said, if this doesn't change, we will have to discipline you as a church because it was increasingly public. People could see what was happening. 
and for us to not address this uh, was a tacit acceptance of it. And so we took him out to lunch, and we read him the letter and handed him the letter. Now, the initial response, he, he was, we were smart to be in public. He was very angry and reacted. Uh, and, uh, but two years later, he came back to us and said, thank you for writing that letter. I didn't like it at first, but the Lord used that to get my attention and help to uh, start me on a path of important change. And so it works. You know, not always, but, but it often works. And, and we need, as a church, to, to obey the scriptures in this. Next week, we're having a church membership class. Who wants to come? Oh, yes, sign me up, baby. <laughs> Listen, you don't sign up for this unless you really want uh, to be helped spiritually, unless you really want to be healthy spiritually, in which you're saying, you know what? Uh, the church, the health of the church and my own spiritual health is more important than my uh, reputation, than my uh, personal comfort. Okay? It, this a is actually a, 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 a wonderful, redemptive tool that the Lord um, wants us to have in our lives, active in our lives. And so I welcome you and encourage you to come next week to the membership class and sign up for some church discipline. Let's pray. Dear Lord, uh, your discipline in our lives is the discipline of a father who loves us. And Lord, we acknowledge that we struggle with uh, sin. And we know that the evil one is out there trying to um, Get us in, uh, in bondage, is trying to hamstring our Christian life. Doesn't want us to live in victory. And Lord, we, we acknowledge that sometimes our, we can, be, can become hard-hardened and blinded, Lord. And thank you for uh, being a part of a church that cares enough about us to not let us just wallow in our sin, and no matter where it leads us, Lord, but but loves us enough to confront us. Uh, may we, uh, here at Clearwater Church, appropriately apply church discipline when it's needed. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.